not set up on the microphones and stuff like that. But I'm hyped that we are um, jumping back into our new um, series that we started about um, two weeks ago before Easter. And the, um, the name of the series is called Invisible War. And I said, I thought it was kind of ironic, but I don't think it's ironic that as we were finishing out the book of Ephesians, we started this last year sometime early this year, and we're ending off talking about the full armor of God. But it doesn't matter if you have the full armor of God if you don't know who you're fighting against or what you're actually going up against. And we're fighting this invisible war every single day of our lives. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you live. You're caught up in an invisible war, a spiritual warfare, every single day of your life. And as Paul was teaching, and from the beginning of Ephesians all the way through to the end of this, he wanted to remind us how we protect ourselves by applying the full armor of God. Um, and he was giving us in the giving us of this in the context of how to have personal relationships, how to have individual relationships. And he's ended it off by saying that you're going to have sometimes a life interactions and relationships with the enemy, who is Satan. So how do we navigate breaking free from the hold of sin that he has over our lives? We first need to know who specifically is the enemy. We talk about Satan all the time. We, we joke around like he's the big red-eared guy walking around like, he, 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 I'm the devil. We always think that he's like this manifestation of evil, which he is, but we think of him in this ugly, huge, just messed up configuration. But the Bible gives us very sound teaching on who the devil is and how he goes against us and who his adversaries are. I don't take lightly when I say things like the enemy may be fighting you or Satan may be tempting you because these are very real threats that even Jesus Christ had to face while he was on earth. But as we learn to live by God's word every single day, we can overcome the situations. We can be an overcomer of all of the Satan's attacks that come up against us. Um, as we're even just thinking about this, we just celebrated Easter last week. We have victory over sin. We should be hyped by doing the Millie Wop. I'm that person who always says, um, I'm not really big on holidays. But I say to myself, why do we only celebrate things like the resurrection on a Sunday once a year? And I'll say this sometimes, church folk, we only go to church usually sometimes two times a year, during Easter and during Christmas. And then we pray to God throughout the year when we have issues and problems because we don't celebrate the resurrection every day of our life or apply the work of God's resurrecting work in Jesus Christ to our lives daily to know that we can overcome situations that come up against us. Easter it should be celebrated every single day because we have victory over Satan. We have victory over he who came against God. We have victory over he who brought sin into the world in the, in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve and cursed the whole generation. And we have the strength of God on our side. When we talk about the resurrection, I hope that it's daily understanding that Satan was and is defeated by the cross and nothing can ever diminish that. His defeat is irreversible and it seals us to God. So when Jesus Christ, he conquered sin and death by dying and rising again, it defeated the penalty in which we incurred for our sins. It was paid for. That means sin's power was broken over our lives through the cross and disarming him. We have triumphed and we have beaten the enemy. So why is it that we are still in a war every single day? That's a good question. If, if Jesus Christ has already defeated Satan, if he's already beaten him, if he's already defeated sin, why are we still every single day dealing with the same struggles? The lust, the mindsets, the, the, the uncomfortability of understanding that we're going to be pulled in different directions of our lives. Why are we still in this war? Why are we still every single day battling so many different things? It's because Satan knows that the war is over. And he's already officially been defeated, but he wants to wreak havoc on as many of us as he can while he still can. See, there's a time in between Jesus Christ's resurrection and a time between he, when he's going to return as a returning king. I was reading last week in Matthew, and I believe it's in Matthew 22, when Jesus was having the intimate time with the disciples. He was teaching them. He was saying, hey, listen, be alert be awake because your adversary, the devil, is going to come and try to attack you. And there's going to be false prophets and teachers. They're going to try to pull you away from me after the resurrection. We've seen this all throughout the Bible. 
It just means that the victory has already been there, but there's still demonic spirits that are still intending on trying to destroy us and the people of God. And their weapons are very real weapons. When we talk about the weapons of, of the enemy, you think about what kind of attack do you get every single day and there are casualties. I don't take lightly that the enemy is trying to pull people away to hell. And we are living on this earth to be able to have relationships with people and to bring them into right standing also. But it's remembering that the victory is already won. It has been completed and that we are in God's army. There was a song that we used to sing as a kid. It'd be like, I'm in God's army. I don't, I don't know the song. It was at St. Paul Baptist Missionary Church. If you went there, send me the song link. We're going to sing it one of these Sundays just to hype us up. It's like, I'm a general in the Lord's army. I don't know. I don't know what the song is, y'all. Just give me, It's early. It's, okay, it's late. It's like 11 o'clock. But still, I don't know what the song is, but we are in God's army. We are a part of his battalion. When we come into his family and his fold, we then also have protection. But it also means that you are now brought into a position where you are an enemy of the evil. You are an enemy of Satan. But God wants us to be equipped. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to walk in his strength so that we can withstand the enemy's schemes and repel the manufactured attacks. The first thing that we've got to understand is this, that when fighting this battle, every single day, we must learn to follow God's instructions given through the Bible, given through this letter that Paul is giving to us right now in the book of Ephesians. The scriptures that we have every single day will enable us to defeat Satan and the schemes and the battles in our lives, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether you're out in public, whether you're at your house, because a lot of y'all are at your house, whether your kids are acting a fool and you just want to hit them with the holy hand, but you like, you know, I got to do the right thing because CPS can't come here. It helps you to defeat the situations that feel as though they are undefeatable. It helps us to be aware of the truth in God's word and how you come to this awareness helps you to overcome the enemy in this invisible war. As I was reading through this, I was thinking about Dietrich Bonhoeff, really great German philosopher. He used to say this all the time. He says, your yes to God means a no to the world. So there's truths in what we hear in the scripture. And in our scripture, we're going to read it here before we jump in here. But I'll, we'll get to how today we're going to talk about the truth, the belt of truth that helps us to stay um, connected to God and pulls us in the direction of where we need to be as believers. But it's the understanding that if you believe in God, then you then have to believe that there is the devil and there is Satan. There's his adversary that you fight against. And to reverse that also for many other people, if you believe in spirits and the devil, then you must also believe that there is a God. And the word tells us that God is our ruling and reigning king and Satan has already been defeated. So you may be on the wrong side of this whole hemisphere. But it also reminds us that the other two truths are this, is that Jesus reigns and that Satan is defeated. If you are a friend of God, you are also an enemy to Satan. But it reminds me of one of my favorite and key verses that motivates me every single day as we're living out this war with Satan. It reminds me that if God is for me, then who can be against me? It's God's everlasting love every day in our lives that will help us to be sustained. It means that even though we're going through a war with Satan and there's this invisible war and there may be demonic forces coming up against you, it's the reality that God loved you enough that he gave his only begotten son to die for you. That's the truth in God's love. When we start to look at our scripture and we start to look at what is, um, Paul starts to give us is the first thing he gives us is the belt of truth. It means that if you are in the truth, that means you're not living by things that are false. You're living by something that's genuine and authentic, not by what the world says. And if you're swayed by the world, go left or the right, you'll never fully understand God's love. It's the investment that he has already made in you, in your life. And when you dedicate to believing and trusting and following after this love, you can defeat anything that comes up against you. Paul knew this in the book of Romans as he was giving us instructions. He tells us in Romans 8.31, he says, Then what then shall we say about these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, He did not spare his, only, his own son, but he gave him up for us. So how will he not also with his gracious, with his gracious give us all other things? 
Who shall bring charges against God's elect, God's people? It is God who justifies, and who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was also raised from the grave. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall spare us from the love of God, or separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, shall, shall famine, shall nakedness, danger, or the sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed every single day amongst the long, and we are, gain, we are regarded as sheep amongst the slaughter. Knowing all of these things, we are more than conquerors, and him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things of the present, nor things of the past, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. The first truth is that you are loved no matter what the world or anybody else tells you. There's so many influences that we see that the enemy tries to pull us in. He tries to pull us away from the understanding that we are God's creation and that we are made in his image and that we are loved and he wants to pull you away from that love so he can grab your attention. It doesn't mean that he's going to show up as this red horned demon in your life every single day but in the subtle aspects of your life he wants to show up and try to pull you away from the truth of God when he wants to pull you away from the truth it's so that he can have your attention so he can be able to be the one to make you weak when you know you are already strong in Christ we're gonna go ahead and read our scripture and we're gonna jump in to our first point of the day in Ephesians 6 and verse 10 Paul says to the Ephesians, to the church of Ephesus, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. He says, Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, this present darkness, against the spiritual forces and evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done this, you can stand firm. Standing, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And we're going to talk about the belt of truth today. But I believe before we get to understanding how we're protected, you need to know who your enemy is. When I was a kid, um, I used to watch a lot of scary movies with my mom. And stuff like that. And shout out to my mom who's going to listen to this sermon after she listens to Creflo Dollar. I was talking to my mom last week and I said, uh, we were messaging about the sermons and stuff like that. And she said, oh yeah, I go back and I listen to you on Spotify. I was like, you do what now? Who what? She goes, yeah, I listen to Creflo Dollar. I got hurt so much in my chest right there. I was like, you gonna listen to Creflo over me? You know what? Creflo has podcasts. You listen to Creflo also. I'm not going to talk about that right now. You hear me right here personally? Y'all pray for me. I got some spite and I got some hatred. Somebody just said amen. I don't know who that is, but they need to hear that amen also. All right, we're going to go back to the scripture here because I preach from the scripture. Anyways, it says this here, is that we need to know who our enemy is so we can defeat the enemy. Well, what, why put on armor if you don't know where you're going, what you're doing, or how you're going to be fighting? So first off, we're going to take a little bit of time here to know who your enemy is. Who are you warring with? Who are you going against? In verses 11 and 12 in uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 6, he tells us, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil and tells us that we don't wrestle against blood but rulers and authorities against the cosmic powers two things he said here we're defending ourselves against the schemes of the devil the devil is a very real entity the schemes are very real he means to terrorize your soul and to render you impotent against God to be paralyzed as a believer he wants to make you feel worthless in your work and your walk and your relationship with Christ. When we talk about the devil, it's also known that he has fallen angels that were taken with him. The devil and his forces are daily watching to seek, kill, and destroy against you. They're prowling like a lion to try to get you at your weakest point. Many of us, as we're in this isolation, 
Many of us, as we're in this time with COVID, we're having a true understanding of what it really means to be attacked by the enemy right now. When you were isolated, when you were by yourself, when you don't have the fellowship of your church every single Sunday, when you don't have your brothers and sisters to help prop you up, you've got to start to learn to lean on Jesus Christ in your own intimate and personal relationship. Nothing of this world can separate you from the love of God except yourself if you allow yourself to be overtaken by sin of this world. It's important for us to know that we're going to be attacked and Satan is very real and he has schemes, but we have power against them. So how do we live out this life knowing that when we're alone and we're tired and we're traveling and when we're isolated and when we're insecure and when it's late at night, that we're going to be attacked. He's going to tempt you with sin. And he's going to try to smother you then with the guilt after you have sinned. After you have maybe made a mistake. He's going to try to condemn you every single day and every single aspect of your life. It's remembering that you live by the scripture and the word of God. But I don't take away from the fact that temptation is a very real thing. Temptation is the enemy's greatest work that he has against us. Jesus Christ in Matthew 4, I've been reading the Beatitudes, Jesus Christ was tempted by Satan on many a times in his life and ministry. When he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, it says that the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And sometimes the Spirit's going to lead you into a place where you may be tempted by the enemy. But I believe this is the time. Oh, what's going on out here? <laughs> Sorry, some crazy guys running on. You're going to be tempted by the enemy. You're going to be tempted to possibly go somewhere so you can be tested. But I believe that when you are tempted, it is a great time for you to build character, to go against the enemy and to build strength. No different than when Jesus Christ was in the wilderness and he was being tempted by Satan. He repeatedly told him over and over and over again, it says, the word of God says, the scripture says. The enemy could not combat the scripture because the scripture is the truth. It is the authority of God. It helps us to stand firm because the reality is God's word will always be our strength. So what happens when you're tempted, when the shame comes in and maybe you've sinned and maybe you've made a mistake and you feel insecure and you feel as though you, that temptation is too powerful to overtake it. The enemy starts to play off of ourselves and to put us into this downward cycle. I believe that you cannot take Satan lightly. That's why it's important for us as believers to stand firm in personal relationship with God and Jesus Christ. To live out this life every single day that says, I don't just put on the full armor of God when I feel like I'm being attacked. I don't just pray to God when I feel as though I'm in trouble. But I lean on my relationship with God every single day because I know I'm weak in my flesh. I know that I cannot overcome these things by myself. Paul was saying this in the first books of Ephesians. He's saying that you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. You were far away from God, but God has already given you the tools to be an overcomer. And it's found in his word and it's found in the scripture and it's found, found in personal relationship. But you cannot take Satan lightly. Many of us in our culture, we take Satan lightly because we've been desensitized by media and the culture around us to make us think that number one, God is a joke, but also that Satan is a joke. When you don't believe that Satan is actually a real being and he comes up against you, then you don't know how then to use the tools to fight against him. Heck, he's perfectly fine with you living a life that just ignores God because then you aren't even a threat to his kingdom. But when you become a believer and you start to make your, your life and you start to mold it into a place where you're following after God, you've became an enemy of Satan. But I want to tell you this right now. The encouraging part is, is that Satan has already been defeated and God is already strong enough. He has already rebuked him out. So all you have to do is continue to walk this life out with God. But Satan is powerful and he is a threat to us. In the book of Ezekiel, there's a lot of good descriptions about who Satan is. I'm going to get kind of teachy right now because I, I, don't, I don't see a lot of teaching on just basically who is Satan and what is here the text. What is the history? Where does Satan come from? When we talk about Satan, a lot of us were introduced to who he is in the Garden of Eden as the snake, as the tempter to Eve and to Adam. 
But before he was tempting Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden, he was actually an angel of God. He was the highest angel of God. In the Bible, it talks about just these different levels of angels. And there's cherubim angels, which were the highest of the high angels. These are the kind of like the angels that guarded or are guarding right now the Garden of Eden. And Satan was the highest one of them. He was in charge of worship, and he was the most beautiful angel. He was God's most beautiful created being. And when we look in the book of um, Ezekiel, in chapter 28, we see as there's a prophecy against the prince Tyree. And the reason there's this prophecy against him is because his heart had become proud. And he himself, he thought of himself as a God. It says in Ezekiel 28, in, in, I'm sorry, in verse 1, he says, Because your heart is proud, I have said, and you have also said to yourselves, I am a God. He started to compare himself to God. He wanted to steal God's glory. And that's what Satan is trying to do with us. He wants to steal God's glory away from God, the creator. The creation, I believe, is always in a place where it wants to be God. But I believe when you have an understanding that you can't be God, you might as well serve and live for God because he has your best interest in mind. So we see here in the book of Ezekiel, there's this prophecy that is going against Tyree, Prince Tyree, because of the because of the pride that he had. But we see a shifting in verses 11. As God is saying to the prophet, he's saying, preach this and prophesy this. He starts to then speak to the powers behind Prince Tyree. Satan himself, the deceiver who is trying and working in Prince Tyree right now to be able to push him into a position to be against God. And we see a significant shift here in the alliteration. It's almost, or it is very poetic when you read this. But I'm going to read this real quick. It says here in Ezekiel 28, starting at verse 11. And it says here, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyree and say to him, Thus says the Lord of God, speaking about who Satan was and what he's doing. He's addressing the power behind Prince Tyree. And he says, You were a signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. And the garden of God says every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, berlin, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald. Crafted in gold were your settings and engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. And it says, and you were anointed. He's saying, Satan, you were anointed to guard as a guardian of the cherubim. He says, I placed you there. On the holy mountain of God, in the midst of the stones, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until righteousness was found in you. I'm sorry, until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I casted you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherubim. And from the midst of the stone of fire, your heart was proud because of your beauty, your corrupted wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I casted you to the ground and I exposed you before kings to feast your eyes on you. Satan was a rebellious angel who wanted to steal God's glory. His tactics have not changed since then. He is an angel who has fallen he is not in this worldly vision of this ugly, horrible specter. What it's telling us right here is that Satan was made beautiful. And what he attacks us in is going to be beautiful sometimes. I don't believe there would ever be a work or a time that Satan would come up against us with something ugly because if Satan were to reveal himself as this ugly creature, which he really is internally, as this evil creature that goes against God, I believe we'd have so many more believers and who to Jesus Christ was because we would see Satan for who he truly is. But he uses this false beauty, this temptation for what your heart desires to pull you away from God. To make you lust for something that you should have never put your eyes towards. And when you turn your eyes to that lust, what you then start to do is you start to enact in the same way as Satan did. You start to maybe look at yourself differently. Maybe you gain some pride in your life. 
Many of us, I say this all the time, I deal with pride. That's probably the biggest thing that I, that I have sin-wise. I tell people all the time, you see my pride manifest when I play basketball, when I fight and I argue people all the time. But that temptation that he has for you, it's meant to pull you away from God so he can pull his attention away to put it towards him. Satan wanted God's glory, but he is not God and he cannot have it. So what he wants to do in this life is to pull us away by using his tactics. We also see just in Satan's name in itself, we see that Satan tries in his names or Satan in his names is a place where he wants to pull us away. He is a deceiver. His character is in his name. When you look at biblical names and you look at biblical um, um, just, um, namings of people, God used names to show their character. God talked about how Jacob wrestled with God and people's names would be changed. When you look at the name Satan itself, when you look at his character as it's identified in Isaiah 14, 13 through 15, you see that there are some things that Satan wanted to do, and his name shows that character also. But we're going to talk first about what did Satan come here to do? Why is Satan on this mission? Why would he come up against us? He wants to steal God's glory, and he wants to take us along with him. Because when this happened, God pushed Satan out of heaven. He had, a, he had real estate. He had place. He had a claim to be able to still be in God's presence even after he rebelled against him. But Satan pushed himself away and he tried to make a revolt against God. And a third of the angels were falling down. And this is where he stands now, where he fights against us. Isaiah 14 and verses 13 through 15. In another place where it's a taunt against Babylon, as God is giving words, he's speaking against Satan. He's giving some more descriptors of what Satan is here to do. We see some of the works that Satan wants to do and his actions that he wants to take against God. I'm actually starting verse 12. It says this in Isaiah 14 and 12. He says, how you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, speaking of Lucifer, who was beautiful in this moment in time, speaking of him, he says, how you are cut down to the ground and who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. See, speaking to his actions above the stars of God, I will set my throne upon high. I will seat my mount on the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself the most high. These are what Satan wants to do as he's trying to steal the glory away from God. We see that he says, I will ascend to heaven. He wants to occupy the abode of God and have equal recognition with God. In our lives, he works to have those same exact acclaims in our life. That's why he fights us with sin and temptation. He knows if we can pull us away with sin and temptation, then we won't follow after God. Secondly, it says that he will, he wants to, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. The stars are in the context of other angels. He's saying that he wants to raise his throne above other angels and other entities. And Satan wanted the greatest allegiance and respect from all creation. He wants to garnish our respect away from God. We see this in the temptations and the actions he takes. Third, we see that he says, I will set on the mount of the assembly. The Mount of the Assembly is where God ruled and where Satan wanted the highest position and authority. Fourth, we see, he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. The clouds in scripture usually indicate the glory of God. And Satan wanted the glory due only to God. And God answered to that. Of course, that is what he wants. But God will not share that with anybody else because he is worthy of the glory. And lastly, he says this, I will make myself like the most high. That has always been Satan's ultimate goal, is to replace God and to receive all the beauty, glory, and wisdom and power from God in every aspect of our lives. The deceit that Satan has is to pull you away. When we look at these two truths, that when you become a friend of God, you become an enemy to Satan. It means that these attacks are not going to stop. 
It means that he is going to continue to come against us. And his character, the work that he has, the adversaries that are coming up against you are to oppress God's agenda and against God's plans. So it's the knowledge of who Satan is will help you to overcome him. Really quickly, I'm going to go through a couple of attributes of his specific name. I believe there's value in us actually teaching the word of God so we know, not just saying Satan bad, boo, boo Satan. We need to know who our enemy is so we can attack back and we can fight him the right way and defend ourselves. The word Satan itself, as shown in the book of Job, one chapter 1, 6 through 7, and 1 Thessalonians 2 and 8, it tells us specifically that the word Satan means adversary. That means he's opposing God's agenda and he's working against God's plan. He violates God's character and he assaults God's plan. He makes it a point to get in the way of God's work. Devil, which means slander, means, means he, he goes against. One of the schemes is that he will say false things about the people of God. And he will try to ruin the reputations of the people of God. He loves to stir up false witnesses and juicy gossip in order to discredit people. I think when we, when we look at the slanderer, it also reminds us how we then, if we start to follow after Satan, we can become slanderers, gossipers, backbiters. We are going to enable Satan's work when we choose not to follow after God. That means every day we've got to go against these works of the enemy. Next is Lucifer. Most people know this name. We call him Lucifer. There's a, a show on Fox called Lucifer, I believe. And it says here, the son of the morning or the shining one, as we saw in the book of Isaiah. This means that he is not going to come to you transparently ugly and scary, but he's going to appear to you as beautiful and winsome. He will be attracted. You'll be attracted to his agenda. He's going to dress it up and make it look good and seduce you with that. Listen, sin looks good for a season of life. But when that season ends and when the party is all over with, what are you left with? You're left with a shell of who you were meant to be because you know that internally in your life you were meant for more than to live for the world. When you live for the world, then you are going to be dictated by how the world works. When the world changes, you know that you are going to be pulled astray and left and right by the winds of the world. But when we stand firm on God's foundation and his truth, we know that we're safe. Satan is going to come to you in the thing that most appeals to you. Maybe that's lust. Maybe that's money. Maybe that's power. Maybe that's pride. Maybe it's you wanting to be on the high throne of this earth. Maybe it's you wanting to be higher than God himself. When he tries to deceive us, he's going to make it look beautiful. Next, we see here the evil one. We see a lot in the New Testament. In the Greek word, it means absolute corruption. He will influence anything that he can, and he will corrupt it and make it evil if possible. This is why we see young people go out and shoot each other. This is why we see the good things of the world become perverted. This is why many of us, we can't participate in some activities and things in life because the enemy has perverted it when it should be glorified to God. This is why we see things in life when we, we see bombings and people blow up each other. We see people try to infect each other. We see people who are trying to poison rivers. And we see companies that can actively work to kill other people. When you start to look at the schemes of Satan, you have to understand that when he infiltrates an individual, it then also infiltrates the working that that individual does. So that means if you have somebody who is full of Satan and his evil workings, and he may be of a corporation or of a higher standard, then he can use that power to deceive many other people around him. It's not just you and your personal attacks. It's everyone else who is underneath you. When you think about how Satan wants to tempt you, is he also then going to tempt you and come at you with evil, deceitful ways so he then can come against your children and your family and your household? When you give yourself over to Satan and the temptations, it's not only you who's affected, it's every single body in your proximity. It's every single person that you may have some kind of authority over. 
or influence. It's not just yourself who's attacked by sin. It's the world around us. We see this evident with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When they ate of the fruit, it wasn't just them, but it was every generation to come after that. He wants to pervert and he wants to break. He wants to make this world evil in every single aspect that he can in his wicked ways of corruption. We see here also he is the tempter, which is his greatest weapon. He wants to exploit our perfectly good desires and entice us to fulfill them with artificial means. That is the way that he works. That is why all of the good gifts from above, food, rest, sex, ambition, your workings and your jobs, all of these things can be distorted and twisted variations that are far away from God's will when Satan perverts it and puts his temptation into it. I say this all the time. I love, one of my favorite ministers is David Jeremiah. I love David Jeremiah. Maybe because he's like a little boring, he's straight to the point, he just teaches. I feel like David Jeremiah is like a pastor's pastor. And he talks a lot about um, some of the deceitful ways that we see from the idiot box. I start watching Mix This, okay? I like Mix This. It's a good show. I'm trying to like take my way away from it. I'm not a big TV person at all. People and everybody keep telling me to watch, um, what's the show? Tiger King. And all these documentaries, I'm just like, I just don't have time. I'm just not there. Just because I know myself. I get easily influenced by things like that. But when you start to look at um, what David Jeremiah teaches all the time, he says, when you give yourself over to things like television and influence and magazines and, and all of these things, it means that what is meant to be good can be distorted. Social media is not a bad thing. This week, I had to pull myself back from social media because I said, I'm spending so much time of this quarantine focused on what everybody else is doing. To be honest with you, I don't care what y'all doing. I just like to post stuff. If you're my friend, you get some baby photos and stuff like that. But I was like, I'm wasting my time right now. And even in that, I, I feel temptations. I feel wanting to get away from God's word. I don't want to read this when I'm so focused on the television and social media and all these other things. And it's not inherently bad, but when the devil comes in, he wants to distort it and pervert it so it makes it a terrible thing. Listen, I'm happy we have social media because I wouldn't be able to speak to you all and teach to you all if we didn't have this. I wouldn't be able to talk to my family and friends if it wasn't for that. I wouldn't be able to be entertained if I didn't have TV because God knows at 9 o'clock tonight, if you call or text or tweet me, do anything like that, you ain't getting none of my attention because I'm going to be watching a Michael Jordan special on ESPN or ESPN2, depending on if KK is going to be watching it because they got some bad words and stuff like that. But that's how things can be distorted and perverted. Everything that the Father has made is good and for us to be able to use to glorify Him. But what we do and what Satan does is he tempts us to take what is good of God and pervert it against God. He takes those tools and twists them in various ways against the will of God. Last two, he says here that he is the prince of the world. In the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, I, when I was studying through this initially, I remember teaching through this a couple of weeks ago, and I got this new Bible, I ain't got nothing highlighted. But it talks about how Satan was the prince of the world. He's the prince of the air. What is being spoken out there right now means that as of right now, he has some reign and rule over the world and what's going on. I think in influence, Satan has reign and rule in influence. If he can infiltrate us as individuals, then he uses us as a part of his schemes to influence other people. And as we are then used to influence other people, we are changing the world around us. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke and I said that I believe that the church should be at the forefront for creating a culture of Christ in the community. But what we tend to see more than anything else is that the world has infiltrated the church and then the church is corrupted by the culture of the world around them. So then we start to change the church. Instead of being rooted in the word of God, we look at things that are attractional to bring in other believers or attractional. That's good and all to be able to say, I want to do what I do for Jesus Christ to the best of my abilities, but don't ever sacrifice what God has given to you in your life to bring people to Christ and the teaching of the word of God to be attractional because that's what Satan does to pull us away. He's fine with you being lukewarm. 
He wants us to be fully on for him. And the temptation and the prince of the world and the world standards will tell you that it's okay to go to church on Sunday and maybe read your Bible every once in a while, but also then partake in things in life that are sinful. I don't even know what time it is, y'all. Okay, I got plenty of time. I'm, I forgot we don't got a band and stuff, so I can preach as long as I want until y'all get off the Facebook live. I'm going to keep on I'm gonna keep on preaching. Reverend Shiloh told me, he says, just me, the Holy Spirit, and this microphone right now in the camera. So I'm going to go ahead and preach. Like, I'm preaching to God. I'm talking to God right now, y'all. Y'all ain't got to be here. Y'all on live probably looking at me like I'm crazy. Stuff like that. I know Lauren's probably like, he's crazy. There's something wrong with my husband. Shout out to baby Naomi and KK out there. And my niece, Lil Griffin, she sent me the best video this morning. It was a video of her saying, I want to have church with Michael. I was like, that just warmed my heart this morning. It helped me get out of bed. I wasn't motivated to get up today. But lastly, we see here that Satan... Is also called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12 and 10. He will condemn you. He will condemn you. He points out your sins and the sins that God has paid for in the blood of forgiveness and reminds you constantly that you're a terrible Christian. Many of us have been in that place before. You make a mistake, you fall to sin. And you feel as if, like, man, my life doesn't feel right anymore. And that, that little bit of back in time when you're isolated, when Satan attacks you, like we talked about earlier, and when it's in the middle of the night and when you're sleeping and you wake up and the anxiety hits in your life, that Satan right there saying, you're a terrible Christian, you're a bad person, you're a terrible wife, you're a terrible father, you're a terrible husband, you're a worthless human being who'll whisper that into your ear at night. And if you've ever heard that voice, it does not come from God that is not God speaking to you the enemy is trying to tempt you to pull you away because he knows your worth and your value when you are in God's kingdom he knows the worth and the value I tell you this all the time the greatest attack that the enemy is going to have is he's going to influence the world and he's going to try to steal your identity the greatest attack that I see from our own, our young people, is that Satan is trying to get our young people at a very young age, and he's using every single opportunity that he has with the media, with people around you, with those who influence you, with social media, with the television, with friends and family, to pull you away from God. Because if he can pull you away at a young age from the knowledge of who you are in God's kingdom, he can then have a strap hold on your life. See, there's a value in understanding the truth of what God says about you. When you understand the truth of God, he lived and he gave his son and he died on the cross for you and he was risen up from the grave and he cared about you enough that even when you were just the thought in his mind in the book, in the garden of Eden that he didn't want to sacrifice all over, he cared about each and every single one of you all. That truth will guide your life and will keep you on the path. I'm trying to try to do an illustration here. But it's probably not going to turn out that good because I don't got a lot of room right now and stuff like that. So I'm going to pull this back real quick. It's the illustration that we, we have for you. I'm going to pull this over here. When we talk about the belt of truth, we talk about how the belt is on the middle. I'm sagging here so I got to fix my pants. I'm about to church. When we talk about what it means to live by the truth of the God and the gospel, when you start to look at your, your life and what you have on and stuff, when you look at your belt, I have to help keep my belt on because it keeps my pants up and it keeps me positioned here. It's keeping the armor in place to protect myself. But when you look at what the belt of truth actually does, when you start to look at when the attacks of the enemy come, he can try to pull on your arm and you can resist that. He can pull on your leg and he can resist that. When you start to pull on your belt, which, which is a, a guard for your whole body, your waist, it is hard to pull back against that when you are living in a place where you know the truth of God, that belt and that, that thing will keep you moving in the right place in the position. It's going to guide you in the right direction. You can do this at home right now with your kids. Put a belt on your kid. Pull that bad boy by the waist. Because when you are being pulled by the waist, your whole body will move with it. So when you start to live a life where you are following after the truth of God, it's easier for you to be guided by God and his truth. If you are guided by God and his truth, he's going to lead you by the wayside and pull your whole body with you. 
That's why Jesus, he tells us, it's better for us not to engage in sin in life because when you do that, when you do that, you give yourself over to the enemy. But he tells us also, he says, hey, listen, it's better for you to cut off your arm or your leg, poke out your eye rather than to give your whole self over to sin. When you give your whole self over to sin, your whole body is taken with you. As I said, you can be tempted to have your arm, cut off the arm and let Satan have it. But when you start to give yourself over and you start to believe the truth of what Satan is tempting you with, and you allow Satan's temptations to be your truth in your life, your whole body is going to be taken. If Satan is tempting me, and I believe in the truth that he says, this beautiful lie that he's going to give me, and if I follow after him, I can get money, cars, fame, beautiful women, that boy that you want, that temptation that he wants you to have, he says, just fall away from God. You know what's going to happen? That truth that is supposed to keep you girded and supposed to keep you stable then becomes a weapon against you because you've allowed that truth to be perverted. If your truth is that Satan is the king of this world and you start to follow after him, your whole body and everything is going to follow after that because you're led away and you're led astray by his falsities. God is saying, let the belt of truth keep you let the belt of truth keep you in a place where you were stationary with God. I don't believe it's ironic at all that Paul starts off with truth because as we look at this armor, as we look at the ways that Satan is going to try to deceive us, it's important for us to know how to protect ourselves. And he first tells us that we need to be protected by the truth, the belt that helps us to stay stable. If your life is being led by God's truth, and this belt, which is on our waist, if we look at it, we get pulled left and right, whatever like that. It's going to help us to believe and trust unto God. Here's the thing. If your truth is at your belt, even when Satan is pulling you, he's not pulling you away from God. That temptation is going to come. He can, <laughs> he can pull your eyes away. He can pull your arm away. He can try to pull these bodily pieces away. But it's going to be hard for him to pull you away from the truth of God. You may fall. You may falter. You may have a casualty of war and have to chop off that arm of temptation. But it's better for your body not to be given over to Satan and his deceitful ways. And as we see here, God is giving us the full armor. And he starts off with the belt of truth. Are you living in the truth of the new life that you were living in with Jesus Christ? Are you living in the truth of the redemption that you have from the cross. Yeah, it's nice and all. Last week, we all had church at home. We did Easter egg hunts. Um, we sang Hosanna. We've done this for years and for years and for years and for years and for years. But I have a, a heart that just says, God, I really want the church to really believe in the truth of the gospel. Because if we are really living by the truth of the gospel, we won't be led astray by the enemy. If we're living in the truth that we are redeemed, does that not empower you to know that when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, that you no longer have to live that way. I believe that should be a motivating factor in our lives to know your worth and your value because the enemy just wants to take it away. So as we're finishing up here, I want to give two scriptural readings about the truth of God. In John 14, verses 1 through 6, Jesus is speaking about how the disciples are to come into fellowship with God. He's speaking to them. He's telling them, hey, let your heart not be troubled because he's telling them, listen, I'm going away to heaven. We just celebrated Easter last week. We celebrated how Jesus Christ died on the cross, how he was risen from the grave and he's ascended now and he's living on the throne next to God. And we are going to have a life that glorifies God with our future bodies if we choose to receive God's salvation. And we live this thing out to the end. We battle against Satan. At the end of it, we're going to have a place with God in heaven. And that's an exciting aspect of this relational aspect that we have with God. But he tells us, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me also. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If so, <coughs> it says, <clears throat> I'm dying of thirst over here. Sorry. It says, if it were not, would I have not told you that? It says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, it says, I will come again and I will take you and myself 
and that where I am, you will also be. And you know that there is, and you know the way to where I am. And Thomas replied back to Jesus Christ, and he said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus Christ replied back to him and said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The only way for us to inherit heaven is by following after Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ provides us a way through the cross to have right relationship with God. The sin's barrier is broken because he is the way for us to have that right relationship and to be in fellowship with God. His truth is found that he fulfilled every single thing that was said about him in the Old Testament. The prophecies about the Messiah, the workings about the coming king. He is the truth that we find in the word of God. So when we live and we stand on the word of God, when we start to take this time to fellowship, and my dude, Matt Hope, he was telling me, he posted this video, and it just kind of hit me last night when I got a chance to read it. He was saying, don't waste this time in quarantine, giving yourselves over to worthless things. But why don't we take time to dig and to delve into the truth of God and what his word says and what the witness of what the God's word says for us. When you start to give more attention to the enemy and the things of the world, you are going to be tempted and pulled by the things of the world because you are not grounded in what the word of God says for your life. What you put into yourself is what is ultimately going to come out. Are you putting yourself into a position where you are receiving the good things of God so you can give those things back out to God? Are you giving yourselves over to junk, which is going to produce junk? I believe when you put those things into yourself, even like in a physical body, we talk about stresses and anxieties and depressions. When you fill yourself with junk and negativity, those things feed on to real life situations like anxiety and depression. But when you start to fill yourself with good things of God, fruits, exercise and you start to get yourself in a position where you are encouraged by the word of God, then we can live by the truth and the knowledge of what God says about us. And we are overcomers. Many of us, we fall to Satan's attacks because we are not willing to invest in the word of God and what he says for us or how we are to live our lives. And then we come to God when we're tempted and when he's attacked us and when he's beaten us and when we're bruised up. And we wonder and we ask God, where are you? Where have you been? And he's been with us the whole time. He's been here with this truth of the gospel, which has been found in his word. And I pray that as we go through this, as we grow as a church, Risen City, that we come out of this COVID thing and this isolation stronger than ever. I pray as we are leading up to the, the day of Pentecost, as we take this time to pray and to be in fellowship with each other, that as we come out of it, we have like a Pentecost moment where we're able to speak to many people and to tell them about the glory of God. And many come to salvation because we are filled with his spirit. And we know the truth of who he is. And we can articulate that to other people. Some of y'all can quote the Carol Baskins and Tiger King. And I don't even know what's on Netflix and stuff like that. Songs more than we can quote the word of God. I'll be real with you. I'm in the same boat. I watch some Dragon Ball Z. Make, I'm, I'm in the same boat. But I have to put myself into a position where I trust in the truth. And I invest in the truth more than the world around us. So he tells us he is the way, the truth, and he is the life. He is the way. He reveals who God truly is through his life that he gave. Lastly, we see this, and we're going to finish up, and we'll be out of here, guys. I don't know what time it is. Bam, I, I preach for like an hour. Can y'all give me, this is some good subject matter. I hope that over the next couple of weeks, um, as we go through each aspect of the armor, that you get your pen, you get your notepad, and that we learn from this and we are able to grow from this in our knowledge. I don't just think it's good for us just to preach a message with one text and just say, oh, that's it, here you go, let's go home. I want to give a good expository teaching of what we are learning about so you all as individuals can fight against the enemy and that you are also strong in God. So Jesus in John chapter 8 he talks about how the truth will set you free. 
When I was a kid and I preached this message, when we preached the book of John, I don't know where this thing came from, but I used to just run around the house with my mom probably hating me. I'd be like, you don't want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I don't know where. It was from some old-timey movie. I think Tom Cruise was in it. I don't know. Um, I don't know where it came from. But we tell people all the time, we say, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. But this is the truth of what Jesus Christ is saying for our lives, is that the truth of Jesus Christ and God will set you free. What does that even mean? This is a very misquoted verse in the Bible. In John chapter 8, in verse 31 through 32, Jesus says to him, he says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word and you are my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. It's the knowledge that the only way to know the truth is to continue to believe and obey the word of God. And it will set you free from the guilt and the shame and the enslaving power of the sinful patterns of conduct in your life. There are a lot of us out there who are living in sin right now. That's why I say all the time, I say, Sunday, you got 50 billion sermons. I got pastor friends who were on the Facebook Live 24-7, 24-7. I'd be like, listen, I hope that these messages and these words, they inundate and they just, they just overflow Facebook and social media and that this positive content that is being produced right now brings people to the truth of who God is. Because so many of us are living in the guilt and the shame of the sinful lives that we're in. We don't know how to get out of it. You feel as though your life is entrapped. You feel as though you can't get out of the cycle. You feel as though your life is always going to be dictated by what the enemy says and what the world says. I remember being in that place. I remember being a victim of the invisible war that we're in. I remember being depressed. I remember smoking and drinking and clubbing and giving myself over to lust of the world, giving myself over and my eyes to things that shouldn't have been seen, giving myself over to situations and places where I shouldn't be, being an influence to the world around me, knowing that I had an influence in the world and that I was also taking people away from God was probably the hardest part and probably is still the hardest part of my Christian life right now, knowing how many people that were pulled away from God by my actions and my sinful life that I lived. But it doesn't mean that you have to live with that guilt for your whole life. Jesus Christ is a redeemer. Jesus Christ is our king of kings. He has already defeated Satan. You already have all the tools in your toolbox to be able to withstand and to be able to push away from Satan. But it starts off with salvation. When you receive salvation, you then become a friend of God. Satan is trying to pull you down and keep you down because he knows your identity. He knows the value that you are to God. And if he can continue to do so, he's already won the battle. But it's a matter, the first step that you need to take is knowing the truth of the gospel. Knowing the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Knowing the truth that he has set you free from all sin if you will walk within that. How many of us are able to live in an unashamed aspect of the life that we are as Christians. I believe that when we put on our belt of truth, it should guide our lives every single day. Are we living unashamed of the gospel? Famous, what is it, Romans 1, 16, it says, I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to bring salvation first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It's the power of you living an unashamed life of the truth of what God has done for your life, which will help people to come to salvation, but also believe it's giving the truth that when you know who Jesus Christ is, you speak out that truth and you make a confession of faith in your life, saying that you're unashamed of who God is for your life. And when you're unashamed of him, he will come into your situation and he will help you. So I pray today that anybody who's struggling with sin and temptation, anybody who's struggling with all of these aspects of the attacks of the enemy, First, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I pray that you come to the knowledge of who he is. If you don't know who he is and you want to talk about him, send us an inbox on the Risen City page or send me an inbox on my personal Facebook. We can talk. Get on the FaceTime. But secondly, those of us who are 
battling sin and temptation right now as it is to where this isolation in your life. I pray to God that Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit give you the strength to overcome all of these burdens that are in your life. The thing of the full armor of God is that it's not something that you just wake up and you say, I'm put on my helmet of salvation, my shield, breastplate for my righteousness and my belt. No. I think sometimes we, we, we kind of make it like the full armor of God is a teaching for kids and so that they can show themselves how to live this life by putting it on physically. It's a lifestyle that you live every single day. It's showing the attributes and the characteristics of God. And one thing of that is that he is the truth in our lives and he loves and he cares about you. So we're finishing up. We're out of here today. It is like 12 o'clock. It is nice and sunshiny outside. I'm going to go plant some flocks or make a garden in my neighbor's backyard, put some chickens back there. Um, God bless everyone. I'm thankful for the opportunity for us. I was really preachy today. I pray the next week we come um, with a good attitude. A lot of my teaching is from a book called The Invisible War. Um, really good book. My mom actually gave this to me. Some very good basic Christian teachings on the spiritual warfare that we go through every day. So we're going to take this next six weeks to go over and teach through how we can defend ourselves against the enemy. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to pray and we're going to read our doxology and then we are out of here, party people. So, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are always with us and that you help us to stand firm in your truth of the gospel. I pray today that we build our lives on your firm foundation and that we aren't swayed around by what the world or what the enemy or what Satan tries to do against us. God, I pray today that we are overcomers and we know this when we invest our lives in understanding the truth of who you are, that you didn't abandon us, that you didn't fail us, God, that you gave everything of your son for us and that he willingly and lovingly gave himself as a sacrificial lamb for us so you could defeat sin on our behalf. God, I pray that we remember Romans 8, 31, where it says, if God be for us, who can be against us? So when the attacks of the enemy come, if we continue to stand firm on God's word, we can be an overcomer. Because he tells us that nothing of this world, angels or demons, nothing in this world can overcome your love for us. So I pray today we are grounded in the truth of the love that you have for us. I pray that you help us to be encouraged by one another. Help us to uplift each other in your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wave announcements if you're still with us. Um, we didn't do a midweek Zoom call for our resident city. I apologize for that. I was off of social media this week. I took some time to kind of get away. I needed some personal time. Um, but we are going to do a midweek call so we can kind of continue our missional communities. Um, secondly, um, I've got our email thing set up. And Tommy's been helping me to get all the emails together and personal information. So he may be contacting you if he already has them to get your address, your birthday, email, phone number. We want to stay connected with all of our Risen City people. If you want to be connected with us, um, I encourage you to inbox us your email, a phone number, a way that we can get a hold of you so you can get our weekly Risen City, I about to say Resurrection Lord, our, our weekly Risen City emailer. And um, so you can be connected with us and maybe even get on some of the phone calls with us. So if you want to do that, drop it in the comments below or inbox us. And then lastly, we want to really encourage you guys that if you want to continue to help and support the ministries of Risen City, we do have online giving. Um, I think my, my friend, um, Reverend Collins, he made a joke. He put it out there. He said, he said, what's 10% of 1,200 of them stimulus checks that y'all getting? Joking around and stuff like that. But we do want the church to continue to worship God in our giving. As God has put on your heart and as you may be able to. We know people are in tough times. If you want to continue to give, because I've had people to reach out to me to say, how can I, I give to the church? As we're going to continue to do stuff this year. Um, we'll share a link online on how you can continue to support Risen City during these times. As we're partnering with Step by Step to continue to give meals out to the community. As we're partnering with... Um, with Randolph Street Baptist and Hope for Appalachia and Resurrection Church who are helping to provide these meals and delivery pickups and stuff like that. Um, we want to do as much as we can and anything that comes in goes 100% back out to the community and to people and to support Risen City Ministries. So we're going to sing the doxology and we are going to be out of here, y'all. And one and a two and a three. 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Grace and peace be with you. Uh, me singing that doxology by myself made me insecure, makes me really miss Ethan and Tommy. I love y'all. Hope y'all doing well with the worship team and other people can sing. Um, ne also, next week we will do communion. We're going to get back on our schedule of doing communion every other week. So next week, if you have your elements at home, make sure you stock up on it. Get your, um, your PBJ bread, get your, your golden crackers, whatever you got. Ethan was telling me that the Sprite Coke Zero, I don't know what it is, but we're going to do communion next week. So we will continue with our normal communion every other week. God bless, and we will catch you guys later on.